Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. He is risen. Maranatha. Even so, come Lord Jesus. As we celebrate Resurrection Day today, I wanted to share with you the sermon that I preached today. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 12. The word says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your finished work on the cross. Those that belong to you rejoice, Lord, knowing that you have risen from the grave as you said you would. By your wounds we are healed, we are given new life, and are sanctified by your Spirit. We exalt your name today, knowing that our hope is not in vain, and that you are coming soon. Please lead us into a posture of repentance and submission to your will today and moving forward. Holy Spirit, please teach us today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. This morning, and every time I stand before you, I affirm the words of the Lord through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, in that we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Through his perfect life, the Lord Jesus imputed his righteousness to those he called, and he imputed eternal life to those who believe in him. His work begins in eternity past, before he declared the world into existence. All of human history led to a single anticipated point in time where God did something unimaginable. The Lord on high would step off his throne in heaven in order to die for his elect. He who was so incomprehensibly mighty and holy condescended to our level. Can we just take a brief moment to appreciate this? He allowed himself to be born into the world as a man, a lowly and finite form in comparison to his supreme majesty in order to live a perfect life as a righteous example for us to follow. To die 
like a criminal on arguably the most painful form of torture ever invented, and to boldly declare that the grave could not hold him, and that death is not master over him. If that wasn't enough for you, because he loves those who belong to him, death is not master over us. We are freed from the law of sin, and are not subjected to its terrible wrath. Today, he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, still working as our high priest and conduit directly to the throne of God. The time is short, and soon he will return to judge the world and make all things new, to usher in an age of joy with his direct presence. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Maybe you've never heard it quite like that before. Maybe you know and agree with everything I just said, and it fills you with joy inexpressible. Maybe what I'm telling you sounds like complete nonsense, and that I've completely lost my mind. I probably have a couple of screws loose, and I'm held together with duct tape for the most part. But I assure you, regardless of your stance on this, in the sight of God, who is in our midst, what I've described to you is absolute, objective reality. And because this is reality, it would not be only wise, but logical, to better understand what God has done and where we fit into all this. If this was an example of cause and effect, with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ being the cause, what then is the effect? Here's the first point. The entire Bible is about Jesus Christ. The Word of God that we treasure is a collection of works by several men over almost 4,000 years, yet only has one author, God, the Holy Spirit. It is a cohesive narrative that remains consistent from beginning to end. There is not a single thing in the Bible to date that has been disproved, and it never will be. But perhaps the most important evidence to be considered is this. The four Gospels that outline the ministry of our Lord Jesus are eyewitness accounts. There is little in the world that is more reliable than this besides being there yourself. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 48, says this, Now he, being Jesus, said to them, These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses 
to these things. They saw and described everything that we needed to know about the life and ministry of Jesus while he walked the earth. And Jesus himself confirms that the entirety of the Old Testament was pointing forward to him. Therefore, from a strictly academic standpoint, this book is one long, comprehensive, historical fact. My second point. The evidence of the resurrection is reliable. The first half of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is perhaps the best encapsulation of the gospel recorded for us in the Bible. Paul states that if you were to tally up the relative number of people who witnessed the risen Jesus with their own eyes, it was about 550 people. That's a lot of people. And not only that, but this happened on different days and at different places. From a strictly forensic standpoint, this rules out all of the excuses and disbelief of those that deny that Jesus rose from the dead. For example, none of the eyewitnesses of the risen Lord abandoned their testimony. Most of them were subjected to torture, to prison, and some even to death over what they claimed to be true. Every single one of them clung to the truth despite all of their suffering. Why would so many men do that if it was all a lie? Another example. Many skeptics claim various theories of why people think Jesus was raised, like a mass hallucination, or that it was all one big conspiracy by the disciples to propagate a lie, or that Jesus wasn't really dead and he somehow escaped the tomb on his own. How can anyone choose to grasp at straws like that in building a baseless argument when the evidence is plentiful and plainly stated? There's a saying that goes like this. Some people only listen to and believe what they want to hear. The truth to them is irrelevant. I have nothing but pity and sorrow for people like this, who willfully deny the God that created them. But you know what? God knew that many would reject him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. Paul also calls the world dead in their trespasses, and this is a spiritual death. Those that are dead spiritually don't see the reality of their situation. Praise be to God that the Bible is unrivaled and reliable. Amen? My third point, consider the alternative. 
consider the alternative. Let's look back at the scripture we started off with today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul walks us through what it would be like for us if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. How grim of a scenario that would be. There are a great many implications that can be drawn from here, and it gets progressively worse. This cancels out the saving power of the cross. Everything about your religion would be fake. Your faith, your salvation, and your hope. Everything that Jesus ever promised us would have been a lie. And if Jesus was a liar, then he certainly was not God. What would that make him then? Probably a lunatic, or a false prophet, or even worse, demonic. The Holy Spirit would not have come to convict the world of sin. We would have no one to bridge the gap between God and man, and we would all be thrown into hell, more miserable and deceived than anyone in the history of the world. That's pretty bleak, isn't it? We would be wasting our time today celebrating something that didn't actually happen. But praise be to God that he confirmed the words and ministry of our Lord Jesus. Amen? Look at verses 20 through 22 with me. You don't want to miss this. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. What a glorious promise and destiny that awaits for those that believe. My final point. Only Christ is worthy of our faith. Is this something that we can prove? Let's think about what we know so far. In multiple places in the four Gospels, Jesus claimed to have a special bond with God that no one else can lay claim to. He claimed that he was from God the Father, that he and the Father are one, and that he would one day return to heaven where he came from. What is he saying? He's saying that he is divine. This can either be true or a complete lie. There is no middle ground in this argument. He can't partly be God and partly not God, right? He's either God, like he claims to be, or he's a liar. If his claims were false, they are against the very nature of God. Why would God support him if he wasn't true? It would be impossible for God to tolerate and accept this about himself. But because God truly did honor and exalt Jesus by raising him from the dead, then everything he said was true, making him the Lord 
Therefore, he is supremely worthy of our faith. Now, what about those who place their trust in themselves and the world around them? There are many reasons why you are not worthy of having faith in yourself. But let's observe Paul using himself as an object lesson. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, beginning with the second half of verse 4. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I count as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. If there was anyone who could boast in their personal accomplishments, it was definitely Paul. He was a man of impeccable pedigree. He could brag about how religious he was. He was trained as a Pharisee, with zeal for his religion. He could brag about his racial heritage. He could trace his lineage to one of the twelve tribes of Israel, God's chosen people. He could brag about being circumcised, being set apart for God, and living a righteous life. He could brag about his efforts and achievements. He completed many good works for the Jewish people, and surely his works qualify him to be trustworthy. But what does he say? All of those things are rubbish. He declared that everything that he has earned and everything that he has done is only worthy of being called trash in comparison to having genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Therefore, since it is through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved, only Christ is worthy of our faith. Given everything that we have looked at today, we can know with absolute certainty that Jesus Christ is victorious over the grave. He rose from the dead to prove that everything he claimed was true. Because he rose, God confirms who he is, and therefore offers eternal life to all who believe. 
This reminds me of one of my favorite hymns called Because He Lives. Let me read you the first verse and the chorus to help celebrate the redemption that is found only in Christ Jesus. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know that he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so glorious. Thank you for rising from the grave and showing us that you really were who you said you were. Thank you for proving that you are of God, that you are here to save us from ourselves and from the sin that we have caused. Thank you for retrieving us from rebellion and bringing us into your kingdom, Lord. We don't deserve you. We are so filthy in your sight, and yet you still accept us despite all of that. We could never measure up. We thank you, Lord, for loving us anyway, to save us and to bring us into your kingdom. For those that don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would repent, that they would accept you at face value, and that they would exalt you as Lord and Savior over their lives. For those of us that are your children, Lord, please challenge us. Please cause us to repent and to cast aside all the dead weight that's in our lives so that we can serve you with a full heart. Imagine what this world would look like if those that were really called by your name fully believed it and fully embraced it and lived like they should. We would be unstoppable. But Lord, it is all within your will. Please bless this time. Please increase our understanding of what you went through for us. Thank you for being victorious over the grave and over sin and over Satan. All in the name of mighty Jesus, we say this. Amen. I hope you enjoyed listening to this today, and it's the least that I could do to celebrate our Lord Jesus today. If you made a profession of faith through this or through your time at Easter, and you have not talked to anybody about it, please send me an email. I'd be happy to talk to you, or if you have questions about what it means to be a child of God, to be saved, I would love to help you. Please contact me through the email. And I'd be happy to respond and go over that with you. That's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.